Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Chris Reedy. Chris is a professor of percussion at the Mesa Community College in Arizona and is also a gigging musician in the Phoenix music scene. He is a good friend and a former bandmate. I met Chris around the same time I met Ethan, uh, somewhere around 2004, and he was introduced to me through Tony King. We were in a band together at the time called the Chris Tafoya Band, and um, Tony brought Chris along to perform at one of our gigs, and he ended up playing with us for a couple shows and doing some recording with us as well. He was also in subsequent music projects with me as the years went on up until I left in the year 2010, and has performed with lots of musicians in the area, and um, people know who he is throughout the scene there in Phoenix. When I first approached Chris about uh, this podcast, he was more than happy to share some of his memories about Ethan, and we had a great conversation. It was nice to catch up with him and talking to him, it reminded me of those early days of meeting Ethan and being in my first real band and performing out and just having a great time with those guys. And he's also a huge part of my musical history as well. And I was very excited to talk with him about Ethan. So here's my conversation with Chris Reedy. I hope you enjoy it. Chris, how you doing, man? Good to see you. I'm doing great, man. Long time to see. I know. It's so good to see you, dude. You're looking good as always, man. You too, man. Yeah, it's like, like I was saying, seeing you on social media, it's like, I feel like it hasn't been as many years as it's probably been that I, since I've seen you. How, how many years has it been? Ooh, let's see. Let's think about this. Uh, I left in 2010. Did you come to, uh, right before I left, I had a uh album release party on top of a hotel and like jay allen and ethan were there and randy i'm sure i invited you to it but you always have a lot of gigs you're a busy guy so i don't know if you came to that I but oh i remember after i left phoenix i came back and you remember we did uh a gig at that one of the first oh so restaurants you and oh. i did an acoustic thing do you remember that yeah. i was actually just there last night Cool. Yeah, I think that yeah, you came back and I think your wife was there, right? Yeah. Yep. It wasn't, was it Oso yet or was it something else and it turned into Oso? I don't remember. I do remember that G, John Lane, um, had something to do with it. He owned it. I don't know if they had quite fully developed the whole Oso brand, but it was one of his first uh, restaurants or bars or whatever. And um, that's right. Yep. Yeah, I think that probably was the last time that we were in the same room together performing or the last time I saw you in person. But like you said, it's hard to remember because throughout the years, I'm like, was that me seeing Chris on Facebook or was it yeah. live? Or it's, Yeah, it's, it's the sad, sad reality nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So that was like 2013, maybe. So maybe about 10 years, dude. <laughs> It's hard to believe it. Yeah. Time is flying, man. Well, you know, I, I don't understand how you keep getting more handsome, though. It's supposed to be. <laughs> well, my new fiance, she's keeping me young and vibrant. 
There you go. And congratulations on that, man. That yeah. is so awesome. There yeah. it is. April 14th, actually, in Prescott. Oh, what a beautiful place to do it. And Ethan's hometown. That's yes. pretty cool. Yeah. So someone finally tamed the wild stallion. <laughs> yeah, well, she's kind of wild herself. So. <laughs> oh, okay. So you guys are going to run through the fields together then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right on, man. Well, for um, for the people listening, why don't you uh, give us an update on what you're up to nowadays? Uh, um, just a lot of, well, I still teach, I think this is year 11, um, a percussion professor over at Mesa Community College. Um, I also have my own private teaching studio. That I teach all things percussion. Um, and then freelance, just play a lot of gigs. Uh, all over the state with all kinds of different people. Um, just did, did a rehearsal with the singer this morning, playing a gig at a casino tonight. Um, but yeah, I stay pretty busy with uh, just doing everything, man. Like a few months ago, I did like a, a gig with Reba McIntyre and David Foster and CeeLo Green. No way. Yeah. Serious? <laughs> That's cool, man. Yeah, it was like, I think they call it Celebrity Fight Night. And it was this, it was backing up all these famous musicians with like some people from the Phoenix Symphony. And, um, but yeah, it was like Michael Bolton, CeeLo Green, Reba McIntyre, David Foster. I was playing percussion right next to J.R. Robinson, who was like Michael Jackson's drummer back in the day. Wow. Yeah, I was like, yeah, so that was, I mean, so I do a lot of just, you know, casino gigs around town and country bars and singer songwriter stuff. But then every once in a while I get a call for one of those and it's like, Oh, okay. But now we're going to, we're going to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. That's amazing, Chris. Congratulations, dude. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And do you, do you get called in on any like um, session work, recording sessions, stuff like that? Yeah. Not, not as much as um, I used to. I have, I, I think um, I still need to hit up um Jay to do something with him. And Jay Pool or Alan? No, Jay Pool. Oh, cool. I do. Uh, I do some recording stuff at MCC, but I don't. Yeah, like I don't do a whole lot of session work. Um, I have people that ask me a lot, and I'm usually like, okay, I'll get around to that. Let me hit you up, and then we'll we'll see how long that usually takes me. <laughs> uh, right. Between teaching and gigging, like when when things are busy, I'm pretty busy. You know. Oh, I bet. Yeah, well, you've always been a busy dude, man. And, you know, when I think of you, I'm always real impressed because I remember like all the touring acts that you've done. Um, and then when you were touring with Blast, remember I I took a date to watch you that time and you made me look real cool, super cool. Because <laughs> in the intermission, you guys came out and were doing drum tricks and you're like, Tafoya! And I was like, yeah, no big deal. I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> was that in Phoenix you saw it? That was in Phoenix, yeah, when you guys came through Phoenix. Okay. That's cool, man, because I, I have so many musician friends, and I feel like only a certain percentage of them had the opportunity to, to see that show. And, like, my musician friends that saw me in my touring days, they they kind of saw me in a different light, you know? Totally. And, yeah. Uh, so that's cool, you know? Like, because some of my friends, when I try to explain to them about that show that I've never – 
seeing that part of me, they're like, it's like, it doesn't compute. They're like, nah, man, I just see you as like banging on some like drums at the country bar, you know? <laughs> oh, sure. Oh man. It was really neat to see you to like go into a formal place, sit down, the lights are down, they come up. And then all of a sudden, you know, when it comes to your turn, you were doing all your snare tricks and just, it was just amazing, dude. I mean, yeah. I'll always remember that. I remember just thinking, oh, man, this guy's such a badass. And I get to jam with him, you know. He's on my record, and this is so cool. That's awesome, dude. I, I, it's been a while since I thought about that memory, but I do remember that now. Yeah, that was really cool. And then just hearing your stories about – and then do, didn't you do a thing with Cirque du Soleil, or you guys were touring with Cirque du Soleil or something like that? Like there was some kind of a connection there. Um, I have a few that are in Circus Soleil, and um, I swung the bat at that gig a few times, got really close, never landed, which is fine because last time, I think the last Cirque gig I was trying to land, I would have, if I got that gig, I would have just completely dropped everything here, my teaching gigs, all my freelance work, yeah. and then COVID hit. So yeah. COVID, like, all the Circus Soleil shows like went away for like a couple of years. Oh, so you dodged a bullet there, kind of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my friends that were in the Cirque shows, they're, everything's up and running again, so it's great for them, but Good. I would have been, I, I would have been in a, um, some trouble. So, but anyway, so yeah, so I have some friends that are in Cirque um, that I used to be, that used to tour with me in Blast, you know, so that's, that's kind of my, if I have a Cirque to Light connection, it's that. Very cool, man. Well, it sounds like you're still very immersed in music and, you know, doing what you love. And that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. And I'm finally, I'm, I'm glad to finally nail you down. <laughs> that was out of everyone that I've scheduled uh, for the podcast, you and I definitely had to reschedule the most and not just cause it, I mean, it was both of us, you know, it'd be like, we'd have a day and then something would come up for me and then for you. And it was like, we must have rescheduled at least 11 times. <laughs> so I, so I, I won first place. Yeah, dude, you did. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, ah, I'm going to see. Cause did you have, you had to reschedule a couple of times with Tony? Was it maybe? I think so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was texting him about it. And, and I think he said something about that. And I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure I broke your record. <laughs> cool. Well, I always like to start with, um, how you met Ethan, but today when I was walking my dog, I thought of another question that I wanted to ask you before you get into the first time you met him. And that is something that, you know, after talking with everyone, um, I wonder, you know, what did you, did you know of Ethan before you met him? And what was it that you knew about him? So did you know about him before you met him? Had you heard of him or did his reputation precede him type of thing? Absolutely. Um, you know, so I grew up here and, um, you know, I graduated from ASU in 99 and, you know, I was playing gigs here and there in college, but I was like just slammed with classes and ensembles. And so graduated in 99. So, you know, but Tony was always like gigging back in those days like that, you know, Tony and I were on the ASU drumline 94, 95, right? Tony King. Yeah. Yep. I used to go out and see Tony with all his bands, um, usually at Club Rio with a couple bands. Uh, I think it was like Zoe Bowie and I 
remember what other projects. But Tony was kind of like my connection when I was at ASU to like, you know, the local gigging scene. And, you know, 90, uh, in 99, um, then I moved to Texas because I, you know, I worked on my uh, master's degree at the University of North Texas. And then after that, came back for one year to be a high school band director, and then I started touring. Then I was gone for like four or five years, right? Mm -hmm. So I never really, I never really jumped into the cover band or like the the gigging scene heavily because after college, like I basically went and started touring with shows, right? So I'm pretty sure to answer your question. So I'm pretty sure I met Ethan. Well, I had heard about Ethan from Tony and other people, um, but I'm pretty sure I probably met him at some gig, but just not recalling that that was Ethan, right? Mm -hmm. So I had heard about him um, as being a good musician, and I remember Tony telling me stories about him. And then when I the, then in 2004, between a couple tours, I moved to Japan, came back home again, and I think. The first time I remember meeting Ethan, I think is when you put the Chris, you, when you had me join the Christopher band. Oh, interesting. Cool. I didn't realize that. I thought maybe you jammed with him before that. You know, if I did, I, I, I like when you put, when you posted that picture, I think it was last year or so of like your band and it was like me, Ethan, you, Randy. At Sugar Daddies. At Sugar Daddies. I was like, I had never seen that photo and I'm really glad you had that because I remember playing the shows there with you all. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, my first distinct memory of no, of meeting Ethan was I'm pretty sure either at a rehearsal at my house or somebody's house getting ready for a gig mm -hmm. or it was like at a gig at Sugar Daddy's. But, you know, I, so much happened, it, you know, I not, you know, to bring up my brother who passed away in 2002 this interesting thing happened with my brain, like after my brother passed away, like there's certain memories before him passing away and a couple of years after him passing away where my memory like is completely erased. Oh, interesting. Huh. And I don't know, if, <clears throat> I don't know why, I don't know if that was like a safety mechanism for me or something. Yeah. There's, there's certain memories that I, I remember like the specific details and that other things are blurry. And like a f for the few years after Sean passed, there's a lot of blurriness. So, um, you know, there's possibilities I met Ethan at different times. But anyway, I, the, the, the gig at Sugar Daddy's and a couple of rehearsals at my house are like my specific first memories of Ethan, which is crazy because I think most people in Arizona are like, oh, I knew Ethan like through the 90s, but I don't think I did. Hmm. So. Um, but yeah, so after after we did our whole like battle of the band sugar daddy thing, when I first met you and I just met Ethan and Tony, you know, and then I brought I had brought Randy along. Did you and Ethan ever get involved in any um, projects after that? You know, that's another interesting question. Um, I think the only other thing that Ethan and well, we did the Jay Allen stuff. Uh huh. So I subbed out Tony a couple times for like Delcoa stuff. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that. Yep. And then, yeah, I was, you know, before this interview, I was, of course, going through my mental um, index of all the different 
interactions I had with Ethan and projects. But so there was a couple things with, with Delcoa um, and like I think a couple trio things. And then um, another another good memory is, do you, you know Brad Perry? Do you remember the newscaster? News... Yeah, he did country tunes, right? Uh, he just he kind of did like singer songwriter stuff, and he was writing some original things, right? I do remember him. Yeah. So Brad Perry hired me to do percussion on one of his albums, and he was asking me who would be a good bass player to lay down the tracks, and I brought Ethan into the mix, right? Okay. So Ethan and I did some of that, um, and it's funny because like you know, and and I'll get to this in the story, like of how Ethan and I came back circle with his last band, um, Bandwagon. Um, when people would come up and see us over like the last couple of years when Ethan was here, he would just say, oh, this guy, Chris, yeah, like Chris Reedy, we, we recorded like 10 albums together. And I'm like, ah, I think it was more like three, but I knew what he was getting at. Right. It was your band. I guess it was just, it was your band, Delcoa and Brad stuff. And I, there might be something else in there that I don't remember, but um, yeah. So there were just a couple of things, and then that was like, man, I lose track of years. And then I hop, then I hopped into like a whole another cover band scene that like never connected with Ethan again for like a long time until like the last couple of years. Now, when you guys were on different trajectories, and you hadn't really like you wouldn't see him and. In- in the vein of cover bands you were doing, did you guys keep in touch at all? Would he say hi? Or is it, was it a thing where you wouldn't see him for a few years and then when you saw him, it was like you had just seen him? Or did you keep in touch in between those meeting points in your life? I think the the major connection of just staying in touch was was social media, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you and I haven't seen each other for 10 years and like, it's like, you know, we see each other. And it's like I saw you yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I would stumble into there was a couple gigs we did together over the years, but nothing was like really consistent. Um, you know, and then I fell into the country scene, like, and I've been doing that for like the last, I don't know, that's been like 10 or more years. And he, he popped into a couple gigs. Like we used to play over at, um, I can't remember the name of the place now over in Chandler. But he would always play at the local and this other bar. And there was like this back door that would go into the bar we were playing at. And and I'd be playing and all of a sudden I would look over and he would be like smiling, just leaning against the wall, like a big grin on his face with Ethan, like just watching me, like not even saying hi. And then sometimes I'd look back and he'd be gone. <laughs> wow. Like he would just, he'd be taking a break and maybe he saw me post a gig and then he would split. Or then sometimes he would hang um, but that was, you know, it was like, it was very far and few between, but what's interesting is like seeing him. So I, I jump into the country scene and then, you know, Kirsten was in the country scene, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I'm remembering that now that there was a, because you and Kirsten performed together a little bit, didn't you? Well, I mean, quite a bit the last, uh, so when she was, so Kirsten had her own band. I was playing in a bunch of different other country bands, but she was playing in bandwagon with different musicians. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, so then at some point, Kirsten and Ethan meet, and I hear the buzz about that. And I'm like, that's cool because I know Kirsten and I'm good friends with Ethan. 
and then they're hanging out, getting more serious. And then at some point, Kirsten asks Ethan to be the bass player in Bandwagon. And then my schedule freed up a bit. And I think she was looking for another drummer. So she asked Ethan and then Ethan was like, oh, why don't you hit Chris? Or there was some, one of them thought of me and mm -hmm. then I joined the band. And then for a couple of years, like I was super busy with Ethan. Like we were playing all the Kirsten's bandwagon gigs. We were doing a lot of trio stuff like me, Kirsten and Ethan and me, Ethan and Mike do it. Um, so yeah, the last, like the last couple of years of his gigging, I was seeing him like quite a bit, you know? Wow. That's really cool. I didn't realize that dude. So you got to spend some good quality time gigging with him the, the last couple of years of his life. Yeah, man. It's, you know, yeah. And cool. it, yeah, I'm definitely grateful for that. You know, the last, uh, all, you know, I can talk about this now or, or close with this, but the last, um, me, Kirsten and Ethan were booked to play at Matt's saloon on New Year's Eve. Mm hmm New Year's Eve, where he passed a couple of days before that, and like all of our texting exchanges between us three were like setting that gig up and getting all excited about it, and then 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 texts started coming in that he was sick and and all that. So that like that New Year's Eve gig was supposed to be me, Kirsten, and Ethan. You know. Wow. So you were uh, you were involved with jamming with them all the way up until he got sick and passed away. That's really cool, Chris. I didn't realize that, man. I I figured that you guys hadn't played together for a couple of years or whatever, but that's super cool, man. Wow. You know, um, you have performed with so many musicians over the years and you've been on tour and met so many talented people. And I mean, the, the caliber of musicianship that you're, that you've seen and that you've been around and that you're at, um, through all those years, can you think of anything about performing with Ethan that set him apart from all those other musicians and talented people that you've been around your whole life? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so I feel like I jump in and out of a lot of different musical kind of circles where, you know, I might be playing with a, doing a Broadway show or, or doing an orchestral thing. Um, or play with a cover band. And Ethan, Ethan was like a musician's musician. He just, he knew songs really well. Um, he, I was always impressed with that. Like his vocabulary was just like deep as an, deep as an encyclopedia. He just, his knowledge of just all things music was impressive. Um, and the thing I probably appreciate, the thing that separated Ethan apart from a lot of other music, musicians I played with was he was basically like a conductor up on stage, right? Mm -hmm. So like when I jumped into the band with, and I remember this with your band, I remember him, like he kind of would orchestrate things like, you know, give us a cutoff with like, you know, the neck of the bass or, um, he was just really easy to read. And I, I really learned that with him when I played the last couple of years of his life where, you know, we, he would just call out songs and he'd be like, do you know this one? And I would be like, either yes or no. But I was like, dude, just let's just play whatever you want to play because 
just watching him up on stage was really easy to follow the form of a tune. He just made it effortless. And I mean, there's a lot of musicians I play with a lot of bass players where like, they don't even turn around and like, look at you, <laughs> you know, they're just like <laughs> based and forward doing their thing. And like a song ends, you're like, oh, that was the ending. But that would, never, that would absolutely never happen with Ethan. He, he was so in tune with the drummer. He would lead you through everything. Um, his time was impeccable. His groove was impeccable. He was just a fun, super fun guy to play with, you know, and, uh, to have a person that has that much charisma on stage, that kind of musicianship and that kind of control. Like I know people out there that have like their doctorates in music and have done all these things and they get up, I get up on stage with them and like, you're not, and you're kind of like battling them. They don't even work with you as a musician. And you have Ethan, who's also an accomplished musician, but he just, he just crushes everything, you know? So that was, um, yeah. So no long answer to that question, but that, that that's all my thoughts on how he separated himself from other people. No, that's fascinating, man. And, and true. And something that a lot of people have commented on, you know, his ability to lead people through songs, even if it's songs that you don't know. And you're right. He was very, not only engaging with the audience, but he also made sure to have a, an active connection going with the guys on the, or the girls on stage that he was performing with, you know, and if ever you got lost, all you'd have to do is look over at Ethan, <laughs> you know? And I think that's why so many people enjoyed performing with him. Cause it was like a, com uh, he was almost like a comfort zone in any project he was in. Cause he just, had it all down you know knew where it was and how about as far you know performing with ethan so much and knowing him for so many years are there any things that you took away and applied to your own musical philosophy or your own instrument um lessons i guess for lack of a better word that stick with you today when you perform um <clears throat> I feel like a, a lot of the things that Ethan taught me, um, he, Ethan kind of popped back into my life at a time where I needed somebody like Ethan, you know? Interesting. Why so? Uh, sorry, I feel like almost getting choked up there. Um, it's all right, man. So, yeah, the thing that Ethan and I really connected with was uh, no matter what's going on, I'm, you know, I remember him and I having talks about this, like all the way to the end. Cause you know, we had played with other musicians that were great musicians, but they wouldn't bring their A game to the gig. Like they would bring outside stuff and they would show that on stage or, you know, they would just look like they were kind of pissed off on stage or whatever. And Ethan and I always had that agreement. Like that was just not acceptable. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's time, I mean, we're, we're all musicians and we all know that, you know, you can only push so many buttons. Like I've seen people explode on stage musicians, um, or like whatever. And there, there are points <laughs> to work. Like sometimes, um, you know, you, you just get pushed a little too far and you know, you're going to end up like the Eagles and that's understandable. Right. <laughs> but, but I guess the stuff that Ethan and I used to talk about, was just like, you know, if you had a bad day at work, you got a fight with your girlfriend or this and that, and you just wouldn't bring that to the gig. And um, we we just, uh, I remember 
a couple specific gigs where, um, yeah, we both showed up and we both had a really tough week and we just kind of like, we just, you know, both had a drink and had an agreement, like, let's go up there and just have a good time, you know? And, um, yeah, so he, he kind of, he reinvigorated me with that energy of no matter what's going on, like, you know, we're blessed that we get to go up on stage and we're getting paid to this. We're making people happy, making people dance. And he just, he just always had a good attitude about that kind of stuff, you know, and that's definitely not always the case in the music world, you know? Right. And how about like through all those gigs that you played with them, is there any one gig that was your favorite gig or one that you guys really fell into a good groove or something that sticks out in your mind as being a good gig or anything funny or weird throughout all the years? Um, well, I mean, I had, you know, I took, I, I put a couple of notes in my phone. Well, so, uh, one specific, I think my favorite gigs with Ethan were like the acoustic trio ones and, you know, me and Kirsten and Ethan did a bunch of those. Right. Okay, cool. And it would literally just be, you know, me playing a cajon and Kirsten singing and Ethan playing his guitars, like a little tambourine with a pedal and. I was always so impressed with how good that trio sounded, like at the drop of a hat. It was just like, hey, let's just play this tune. And I'm just, I, I remember looking at them and saying that, like this, just the groove and, and Kirsten's voice and everything, it just sounded phenomenal. So I, I, and you know, with the acoustic setup, you could get a little more creative. You, you know, once you, once you hop away from the drum set and you're just laying, I mean, you're always playing time, but, um, I just, I appreciated the acoustic thing with Ethan more because just the creativity of it. Mm -hmm. so I think there's a couple gigs at the local that I had a good time. That's one of my, you know, I'm very grateful for the time that me and Ethan had the last couple years, how much we were playing and how much I was getting to know him. He was kind of like becoming like a big brother to me. Um, and then my regret is, is just like, we had all kinds of things planned, like with gigging and the crazy thing is, you know, I have a place up in Prescott, it's like my second home, right? Mm -hmm. And I go up there all the time and and I would, and Ethan's from Prescott and we would have all these, we would always talk about Prescott and he would tell me, I think there was some story, I remember him telling me like, there's a mountain up there, his mom would know more about this, but like there's a Mingus. mountain, Mingus Mountain, yeah. Um, and he would say some, there was some story about him being the first kid to do something up there or something as a baby or hmm. I don't know. There's, there's some historically significant thing. Right. Um, and I'm, I, the thing I'm really bummed about, you know, I mean, obviously, um, we had, we had all these plans, like, so the first time Ethan and I were going to go to Prescott together was going to be that New Year's Eve gig. Uh huh. And I don't know, his mom might get a kick out of this. Should I read this little, this, this last, one of the last texts he sent me now? Sure. Yeah, please, man. Thanks for sharing that. So, um, so me, yeah, me, Kirsten, Ethan were supposed to play New Year's Eve. I guess it would have been New Year's Eve going into 2020 or was it 2021? 2020 probably, right? Right. Well, now this was just before he passed, then it would, it would have been getting ready to go into 2021. That's right. Okay. 
So we were all excited about it. And, you know, it's going to be the first time we're going to go to Prescott together. And he's going to show me all these places that he grew up in. And like, um, and, you know, Ethan, all he used to always do these funny posts on social media for gigs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I saved this one and a couple others, but this was kind of his description and his, some people will probably understand this. Some people won't. I could probably explain some things. I'm going to see if everything in here is, I think everything is um, legit. <laughs> so the, the text said, and it came to pass that the year of, so, okay. So, and it came to pass that the year of utter shit show ran its course. Of course, he's talking about COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And to usher in the new age, three warriors did ascend the mountain to the mile high city to ring the death knell of the craptastic curse. And they did play on the ancient row of corn and rye and the people danced and rejoiced. And the warrior who wielded his weapons <laughs> and the warrior who wielded his weapons upside down did return to the birthplace of his shameful career for the first <laughs> For the first time since his exodus in the year and then Roman numerals something. Um, <laughs> and he did offer post-performance couches and a warm hearth at the base of the volcanic plug in the shape of a thumb. It almost reminds me of like a vein of like, um, what was that? The famous um, British comedy troupe, you know, where they did like uh, back in the days of Jesus. And I can't believe I'm... Um, like Monty Python. Monty Python sort of vein. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't, the funny thing is, is he, you know, he didn't typically, like he, Ethan wrote, I mean, he was a, he was brilliant in all the different ways he wrote. But I don't, maybe it was a couple times he wrote in this style. But like when he, when he said it, I was like, every sentence is almost like you have to decode it. Because it's like, you know, the first sentence, the utter shit show of a year was COVID, right? Right. He's saying three warriors did ascend the mountain to the Mile High City. So the three warriors and me, him, and, and Kirsten. Uh huh. And then to ring the death uh, knell of the craptastic curse, like trying to end the curse of COVID. And then him saying they did play on the ancient row of corn and rye. So that's whiskey row. Right. And then, uh, then, the, and then the funniest sentence. The warrior, the warrior who wielded his weapons upside down, obviously Ethan, right? Ethan, right? <laughs> I and caught then, that the first time you read it. I chuckled at it. And then uh, he, he talked about after the gig that I think we were all going to stay at his mom's house. And his mom, so it's funny because when I go up to Prescott, every time I go up there, I hike, it's called Thumb Butte. So apparently her house is right by Thumb Butte, and that's where he wrote like we we're going to go back to the warm earth at the base of the volcanic plug in the shape of a thumb. Oh, okay. That makes sense now. Sure. When he sent it to me, I was like, I was just laughing because every sentence, like, you know, obviously meant a lot to me and, and I understood it. Yeah. Uh, Man, I wonder what it would have been like if he'd have written a book or something like that, you know? Now, um, Let's say that uh, there was someone listening to this podcast that didn't know Ethan, and they were to ask you what he was like. How would you describe Ethan to someone who didn't know him or who didn't get the chance to meet him? Uh, these are good questions, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Thanks. <laughs> you should do this for a living, man. Uh, 
Describing Ethan. Wow, man. Um, I think he would, he'd be easy. Well, I, it depends if I was describing him to a musician or if I was just describing him to, to anyone. Describing him to another musician is always easier because, you know, I could talk about great playing chops, great time, great stage energy, huge and um, a lot of knowledge for the instrument and just for just playing music in general. Um, those are all like the things I would talk about and describe of him as a musician. And then just as a, just a human being and a person, like just, he, it was unbelievable how much just he knew, you know, like his, his knowledge of, of so many different topics. I feel like I could bring up like anything to him and we would, we could just sit there for like a half an hour, an hour and just, you know, talk about history. Cause I think he was a history major, right? Yes. Yeah. In college he was. Yep. Yeah. That's where, you know, once again, man, like I have, I just, man, so much, so much regret for like, I feel like Ethan and I were just getting off the ground with all the things that we really, cause you know, we were both really busy with our lives, but I think I, at least I cherished like our breaks on gigs cause I would sit down with him and you know i wanted to be a history major i'm a history nut like i'm like you know i've got all kinds of world war ii memorabilia and all that stuff and I, and um and i would just love to sit down with him and, and talk so anybody i meet that likes history but also likes music it's just like forget about it we're going to sit there and talk forever you know all <laughs> right <laughs> um that was ethan for sure but yeah i mean just describing him to so th those would be, you know, some, some character traits I would, I would explain about Ethan. Um, but my favorite thing was, was just kind of introducing him like my, so Rachel, my current fiance, she only, she's only met a handful of my different musician friends, either because of our schedules or, you know, some gig she wants to come out to some gig she can't come out to. And I think my first musician friends that she ever met were Ethan and Kirsten. Oh, cool. That was like, that was like the band I was playing with. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I remember like yesterday we're playing down at Santan flat, this outside country bar, like, you know, it's out in the dirt and it's fun, but it's, you know, and I remember I'm wheeling my stuff up and Rachel's carrying a bunch of stuff behind me. And Ethan was like, uh, what did he say? Um, that's like the hottest roadie or hottest drum tech I've ever seen. <laughs> complimentary, complimenting uh, Rachel for dragging. Uh, <laughs> and Rachel loved him, you know, like. Yeah, I'm sure. People would see him the first time he playing a gig and just, and Rachel, you know, she's, Rachel seen me play in all different capacities, like off Broadway shows. She saw me play. I played a concert with Weird Al, like 5,000 people. Uh, no way, Chris. That's awesome, man. Check you out, dude. That, that was like that was like one month deep into our relationship. I got a gig with Weird Al and she... Wow. Yeah. So anyway, so she's seen me play with all different kinds of musicians. And uh -huh. to this day, she says like the energy that Ethan and I had on stage 
and how we would lock in and smile at each other and play. Like she, she was more impressed with that than I think most anybody I played with, you know? You know, having spent so much time with them these past few years, what did you notice about the way Ethan treated people, perhaps like people he didn't know, you know, people that were around him? What did you notice about the way he treated them? What did I notice, notice about how Ethan just treated like strangers at a gig or something, you mean? Yeah, just people in general, whether he knew them or not, but but especially people he didn't know, you know, and it could be at the gig or even... At, you know, even off stage, if you guys were just like standing around talking, you know, the way that, what did you notice about the way that he treated people around him in general? I feel like Ethan, he was pretty consistent. He he's almost like you know, you talk about these famous actors. Um, you know, I'll use like Robert Downey Jr. as an example. Like you know, Robert Downey Jr. in his in his real life, if you see him getting interviewed, he's basically like the same dude that plays like Iron Man, right? Hmm. That's like his character doesn't change from his professional life to his personal life. And Ethan was the same way, like up on stage and how he acted to his musicians, like kind and patient and funny. I, he cast that across to everyone, you know, like a little, if a little kid came up to the stage and like had a question or, um, you know, wanted to talk to him for a minute, like Ethan was always there, like, yeah, he's just always kind and, you know, this is crazy, dude. So like, um, he just, I looked at my phone four minutes ago, just yeah. checking and, um, it was three eleven, And so I've had this thing my whole life since Sean has passed away where like, and it's, this goes across to Tony and a lot of my friends, like when you see three eleven, it's kind of like a sign from Sean. Right. Oh. So he, it was crazy as Ethan was one of the only people that just all the time he would text me and Tony like a 311 when it was 311 or like when he saw a 311 and I always really appreciated it and that was just another sign of like Ethan's kindness right that he acknowledged that my brother and how Sean was really good friends with me with Tony as well and you know we're having our interview here with ethan and i'm, I'm sitting here and i just had the sudden urge to look at my phone it's 311. <laughs> wow interesting dude doesn't surprise me at all um what about do you have any ethan stories in general i just i love hearing stories about him is there anything in it maybe you were thinking a little bit before we talked and did you think of any specific memories or and not necessarily, I mean, it could be a funny one, but not necessarily just a story of Ethan in general. Um, one that popped in my head. <laughs> this is a funny one. Um, let's see, because I don't, I want to make sure I don't forget any of these. I'm looking at my phone. Oh, that was, well, okay, there's a couple quick, but uh, gee, I think you were there. This was at Sugar Daddy's, and I don't know, like, you know, because when in Sugar Daddies there was their phase where you played in the middle part of the building, like when we did the Battle of Bands thing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And this might have been in that same room. I don't know. Um, and then you could play on the outside patio at one point. Right. Um, but I remember distinctively, it was kind of like a jam session of sorts, and I think you guys were there. I know, obviously, Ethan was there, and I remember telling Ethan that I was going to go buy some like new congas, right? So like, like three drums, like it was like, I don't know, over a thousand dollars, like put it about these new gig bags, the whole thing. 
and Ethan was like, oh, you should, you should bring those to the gig, like, like play those. Right. Uh huh. So I'm like, okay, you know, so I brought them and we're playing. And like I said, I can't remember if it was an actual gig or it was like a jam thing. And, and we're all playing, I'm doing the hand percussion thing, sitting down and there's this guy in the audience that apparently Ethan knew and Ethan's on a break. Ethan's like, Hey man, so this guy, um, apparently he's a good percussionist and he knows all these people and this and that. And he wants to know if he can play your congas like, like, uh, after the break. And I'm like, well, I'm like, these are brand new, dude. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, these are brand new and I, I'm going to go on faith. Ethan, I don't know this dude. You're saying, you know, this guy, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll come up and like play the drums. Right. Right. So, dude comes up and he sits down and what's like right before you guys started playing, what's the first thing he does is he sees the tuning wrench for the congas on the ground and he starts like cranking up the drums. Oh. <laughs> so that's like strike one. So I'm, I'm sitting there watching him and I'm like, well, maybe this guy knows something more than I do. Yeah. He's going to like tune them up and make them sound great. So I'm, that's cool. I'll sit here and finish my drink and watch him do that. Right. Sure. Sure. That was, that was like strike one. Right. Yeah. So then you guys start playing and now he's starting to play and his, his hand technique is not that great. And I'm like, I'm now getting a little nervous. I'm like, uh, and, and actually if Ethan must have not been playing, I think Ethan was sitting next to me. So I don't know what kind of jam this was, but so Ethan's look, I can see Ethan watching me cause he knows that I'm like, this is not cool anymore. Right. Right. And then, and then what does this guy do next? He, so he's sitting behind these brand new thousand dollar drums and there's a tambourine on the floor uh-huh and dude's playing with one hand and then he picks the tambourine up and he starts hitting the side of the drum with oh. and i was like i literally like came out of my chair but ethan like beat me to the punch and ran up to this dude and he's like what are you doing and he like basically called the guy out in the middle of the song and like shamed the guy or whatever. Like he was like, yo, get off the drums. You can't be like, he did it for me. Right. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> we always talk about that. Even like the last couple of years, he would joke around about that. He's like, yeah, I'll never let anybody come up and, uh, and play your drums again. <laughs> and then what was another one? Um, this one popped in my head yesterday. So Ethan and Kirsten get married and um, we're playing a gig, full band gig, like quartet. And Ethan's always standing to the right of me. And we would play a couple songs where I use the cowbell. Mm -hmm. And one like bow rider, right? Okay. And, you know, gang, 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 gang starts with the cowbell lick, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so Ethan would always know that I would, he would, he would look at me and he'd tell me what we're playing and I would start that and we would go into the tune. But there was one gig, I think I was looking over to the left of the guitar player, this guy, Matt Ventry. And all of a sudden I hear, I think Ethan was using his wedding ring and he came over and he kicked off the song on my cowbell with his wedding ring. <laughs> and I just look, every, like Kirsten looks back, I look over at him, I'm just laughing. I'm like, did you really just kick? He just comes over and he's like, ding, kick, kick, ding, kick, kick, ding. <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm sure uh, those two pop up in my brain. I can, in both of those stories, I can picture him 
in those situations, you know. <laughs> Good stories, man. Do you remember um the last gig that you performed with them? That's so crazy. You just asked me that question, dude. I do, man. Like yesterday, and I actually I have a low quality video of it, and I came close. I think I was gonna run it past Kirsten. And also just so the last gig I played with Ethan was a, probably only a few weeks before he passed away. Really? And I think I actually played with him on his last full band gig. And it was at the monastery in Mesa. It was me, Kirsten, him and Matt. And um, I think Kirsten said he did like one gig the next day at Jolie's, like either a solo or a duo. And then, and then they went and had this little trip and he wasn't feeling well. And then, um, and then a few weeks later, um, so I had, I, I remember it like yesterday and I'll never forget it. And I remember at the end of the gig, having a conversation with him, excited about New Year's Eve, about doing that gig. And we had to talk about this other local bass musician, uh, Sean Jameson, who they, it's this whole crazy story. Like Sean, I feel like is, is this person you should interview because the quick story of it is like Sean Jameson, who's another phenomenal Phoenix bass player, he met Ethan when Ethan was a little kid and he like, and he signed some like Beatles something or something for Ethan. And mm -hmm. then I think this guy, Sean Jameson dated maybe Ethan's aunt or something. So he knew him for, for a bit. And then all these years passed where Ethan and Sean, you know, Ethan continue, Sean continues being a bass player. Ethan's growing up doing the scene and then they connect only this was only a couple weeks before the last gig I had with Ethan where Sean and Ethan realized like holy crap you're that kid so they had this whole like weird wow. thing but anyway um so that was the, the last conversation I had with Ethan was about Sean Jameson and about the New Year's Eve gig and I had this video because a couple friends came out and videotaped it like I'll keep it I can even send it to you but the, the quality's not great. So I, I was gonna post it a couple of times, but I was like, uh, that just, you know, I don't wanna post something where it makes the band or Ethan sound bad. Cause we actually sounded really good that night, but like the quality just kind of skippy, right? Okay. But in the video, it's like, it's like iconic Ethan because in it, it's like Ethan, you can see him as a tip jar. No. We're, we're playing, we're literally playing a song. It's right in the beginning of the, sh of the night, maybe like song one or two. And you can see Ethan looking around and he notices there's no tip jar on the stage. So Ethan, while he's playing bass, he walks over to a table, grabs a pitcher. So now he's playing bass with one hand, right? Mm -hmm. He's playing bass with one hand while he grabs a pitcher, puts it on the edge of the stage while he's still playing bass with one hand, pulls his wallet out of his back pocket, pulls a couple of bills out, throws it into the kitchen, <laughs> puts his wallet back in and starts playing bass again. And then he looks back at me and he's like, what? And I'm laughing because I'm watching him do this. And he's just like, you know, not dropping a beat, still sounds great. And, just like, and, and it's all in this video. I'm like, that is just like, 
like the ultimate Ethan dude. He's like, ah, you know, we need a tip jar and we're in the middle of a song, but I can still make this happen. Wow. that is so cool dude that would be awesome to, to see that video if you could speak with ethan again or you know if we had one more day with him what would you say or how would you spend that time with him Oh, man. I think... You're making this hard on me, man. <laughs> Pulling some heartstrings here. Um, I think it would definitely be, you know, me and him up in Prescott, probably on Mingus Mountain or some other place that, you know, him and I both had in common that, you know, a place that was special to both of us, but we never went to together. And uh, just telling stories, drinking some beers, just and then, you know, probably him and his acoustic guitar and me with a drum, or maybe not even playing music, you know, because, um, it, it would just kind of, it would, it would depend on, you know, whatever the energy was for that time. But if I, I guess if I knew that I had one more day with him, it would, yeah, it probably would, it would involve a special location like Prescott and, and, uh, and just sharing all the things that we had in common, which was a lot, you know, um, So that would involve music, some history, some talking about the stars, and uh, yeah, man, I, I that would be a, that would be a fantastic day to go to have that. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a beautiful day, man. I mean, with my spiritual belief, I know I'm going to see him again, and. Um, and I look forward to that day, man. He's, um, like I said, he, he was like, like an older brother to me. And he was, he, uh, when he passed away, it hit me. I know it hit everybody really hard, but for me, it hit me a little too close to home where, um, having somebody older like that with, uh, his kind of guidance, you know, that was, that was really difficult for me. So. Well, Chris, I love you, man. Thanks for taking the time. This has been a wonderful conversation and um, it shouldn't be so long until our next one. And uh, it's been great to see you and talk to you. Let's yeah. do it again soon. Absolutely. All right, man. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was really nice to catch up with Chris and listen to his thoughts about his time with Ethan. And I do appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule to appear on the podcast. You can learn more about Chris at reedypercussion.com. And if you ever get a chance to watch him perform live, it is a treat. So keep an eye out for any shows he might be performing in in the Phoenix area. Make sure you join me next week when I'll be speaking with Derek Butler, the drummer for the As Is Band. I spoke with Kurt Fincham for the first episode of this season, 
And uh, just soon after that, Derek and I spoke. It's a great conversation, and I hope you'll return to listen to it. I'd like to leave you today with a live performance from Chris Reedy on on a percussion instrument called a handpan. I didn't know about this instrument um, before Chris shared his live performance with me, and it's a beautiful sounding instrument, and Chris plays it very well. Um, This was a performance he did for a Christmas Eve service, and the title of this piece is O Come Emmanuel. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.